Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Monday, April 12th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Genetically modified mosquitoes are set to be released in Florida, but will locals thwart the project? A new technology that can 3D print bones directly inside of patients' bodies. And is TikTok our latest great art movement? No, really, stay with me on this one. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Genetically modified mosquitoes are officially being let loose in Florida. Well, almost. Maybe? Biotech company Oxitec will be releasing the genetically modified, or GM, mosquitoes in the Florida Keys in an effort to combat mosquito-borne viruses like Zika and Dengue. Mosquitoes in the area are increasingly resistant to other forms of control like insecticide, so other options like GM mosquitoes have been long explored. Quoting Undark, Oxitec's OX5034 mosquitoes are programmed to combat the transmission of mosquito-borne illnesses by suppressing local Aedes aegypti populations. Oxitec, which is U.S.-owned and based in the United Kingdom, describes their mosquitoes as friendly because they will only release males which, unlike females, do not bite humans or transmit disease. At Oxitec's laboratory in the UK, the company genetically engineers the mosquitoes, giving the insects the self-limiting gene that makes the females dependent on the antibiotic tetracycline. Without the drug, they will die. Eggs from these genetically altered mosquitoes, which will hatch both male and female insects, will be shipped to the keys. Mosquitoes will require water to mature from an egg to an adult, and when Oxitec's team adds water to the boxes the mosquitoes will be deployed in, both GM males and GM females will hatch. With no tetracycline present in the box, the GM females are expected to die in early larval stages. The male mosquitoes will survive and carry the gene, and when they leave the boxes, the insects will, hypothetically, fly away to mate with wild females to pass the gene to the next wild generation, according to Nathan Rose, head of regulatory affairs at Oxitec. Kevin Gorman, the company's chief development officer, says the local female mosquito population will be increasingly reduced, which will also reduce the number of wild male mosquitoes in the treatment areas, end quote. But a number of scientists are skeptical of this plan. Jennifer Kuzma, co-founder and co-director of the Genetic Engineering and Society Center at North Carolina State University, says that tetracycline, the antibiotic the females are genetically modified to be dependent on and then deprived of, is actually commonly used in Florida, both at sewage plants and in agriculture, so the females may still find it and survive. Oxitec seems to have a long history of not handling the legal and outreach side of things too well, even if the science might hold up. Many local residents, physicians, and environmental activists are concerned on a number of points, including Oxitec's overstating of their trial success, a lack of transparency on their part, and the disregard for the local public opinion. For example, when Oxitec was seeking EPA approval and open to a public forum, there were 31,174 comments in opposition and only 56 in support. Quoting again, Oxitec has released more than a billion of their OX513A mosquitoes over the past 10 years. According to independent scientists, some of those experiments do not go well. For example, researchers at Yale University and collaborators from Brazil analyzed Oxitec's 2015 release of the OX513A in Brazil. The scientists confirmed that some offspring of the genetically modified mosquitoes, which were supposed to die and not pass new genes to the wild population, survived to adulthood and mated with their native counterparts. Between 10 and 60% of the native mosquitoes contain genes from Oxitec, according to the Yale study, which was published in Nature in 2019. 
The paper's authors concluded they do not know what impacts these mixed mosquitoes have on disease control or transmission, but added that their findings underscore the importance of monitoring the genetics of the insects. Oxitec disagreed with the findings and responded on the journal's website. Oxitec told Gizmodo that Yale's study includes numerous false, speculative, and unsubstantiated claims and statements about Oxitec's mosquito technology. End quote. Ultimately, I think Natalie Koffler, a molecular biologist and bioethicist and advocate for inclusive decision-making with regards to genetic technology, sums it up best, quote, What's the most upsetting is that the very people who are going to be most impacted, both by the benefits or the risks of such a decision, have, like, the smallest voice in how these choices are made. I think that's a really big issue. If Oxitec doesn't do this right, we could have huge impacts on delaying the use of other beneficial technologies like that in the future. End quote. Because yeah, the tech here is very cool and sounds quite promising, but if it's not handled well in these early runs, could sour public opinion on it in the long run, and that would be very disappointing. Three D printing is a frontier that is just endlessly cool, and here's the latest one. A new technique that would enable doctors to create new bone tissue directly inside a patient's body. So the 3D printing of bone material is not new, but it's always been done outside the body, requiring the patient to go into the lab and then using extremely hot furnaces and toxic chemicals to craft the bone-like material. Being able to print the tissue inside the body would substantially reduce pain and speed up recovery time for patients like those with bone cancer or who experienced accidents that require a lot of bone repairs. The technique was developed by scientists at the University of New South Wales in Sydney and quoting the University of New South Wales Sydney newsroom, Using a 3D printer that deploys a special ink made up of calcium phosphate, the scientists developed a new technique known as ceramic omnidirectional bioprinting in cell suspensions, or COBICs, enabling them to print bone-like structures that will harden in a matter of minutes when placed in water. This is the first time such material can be created at room temperature, complete with living cells and without harsh chemicals or radiation, says Dr. Iman Ruhani from UNSW's School of Chemistry. And associate professor Christopher Killian, who co-developed the breakthrough technology with Dr. Ruhani, says, The cool thing about our technique is you can just extrude it directly into a place where there are cells, like a cavity in a patient's bone. We can go directly into the bone where there are cells, blood vessels, and fat, and print a bone-like structure that already contains living cells right in that area. End quote. One of the key elements of the process is a special ink they developed in a microgel matrix with living cells. Dr. Ruhani describes it in layman's terms for us, quote, It forms a structure that is chemically similar to bone-building blocks. The ink is formulated in such a way that the conversion is quick, non-toxic in a biological environment, and it only initiates when ink is exposed to the body fluids, providing an ample working time for the end user, for example, surgeons, end quote. And quoting further from UNSW, he says when the ink is combined with a collagenous substance containing living cells, it enables in-situ fabrication of bone-like tissues, which may be suitable for bone tissue engineering applications, disease modeling, drug screening, and in-situ reconstruction of bone and osteochondral defects. End quote. The team is moving on to animal tests next to see how the bone-like constructs continue to grow, and they're hopeful about the potential of this technology, saying it could perhaps one day be used for dental restoration in addition to disease modeling and bone reconstruction. 
Quoting Professor Killian, This has the potential to radically change current practice, reducing patient suffering and ultimately saving lives. End quote. You might be familiar with the exquisite corpse, either as a game you've played before or as a surrealist art concept. It's basically when you get a group of people together, a foreign concept to our ears nowadays, I know, but you get a group of people together and one person draws something on a piece of paper, or they write a word or half a sentence, and then they pass it to the next person. That person adds their contribution, if it's writing, they add writing, if the group is drawing, they'll add to the drawing, and then before they pass it, they fold over the first person's contribution, and so it continues. So when each new person contributes, they can only see what the person right before them had written or drawn, not the whole piece altogether. It usually produces something pretty funny, in a Mad Lib kind of way, and it's a fun way to pass the time. The game itself originated among the Surrealists, folks including Marcel Duchamp and André Breton, as well as Frida Kahlo. Once, when the French Surrealists played it, it produced the sentence Le cadavre exquis boira le vin nouveau, or The exquisite corpse will drink the new wine. So that's how it got its name, Exquisite Corpse. Though it had all the markings of a parlor game, and was likely enjoyed as such at least by some at the time, the Surrealists also considered it serious art. Breton wrote about how it was something that could not be created by one brain alone. But their critics disagreed. As Breton described it, critics, quote, "...reproached us for delighting in such childish distractions." End quote. Angela Watercutter, writing in Wired, says some now might be reproaching TikTok as a childish distraction when it too is a pretty brilliant platform yielding some outstanding art. Susan Laxton, a professor of art history at UC Riverside and the author of Surrealism at Play, told Watercutter, quote, I think if Andre Breton were living today, he would turn on TikTok and be blown away with the mechanical aspect, the idea that there's a system for generating these images so that it's done automatically, which could have some kind of resonance with automatic writing and therefore tapping pure thought rather than preconceived conventional ideas, end quote. I've talked before about the sea shanties and the Ratatouille musical, two trends on TikTok that heavily relied on the platform's duet and stitch functions, whereby users can build off of each other's videos, creating new videos, either responding to the original or building off of it. And you can layer several on top of each other, which is how you got total strangers from around the world harmonizing sea shanties, and quarantined theater kids writing, designing, and performing an entire musical together without ever meeting. Side note here, this is probably a niche complaint exclusive to people who were active on YouTube in the early days, but many of us have long felt that YouTube's decision to end the video reply feature, where you could not just comment textually, but upload a video response that would show up alongside the original, was a real turning of the tide moment, and one that disappointed a lot of us who were on the platform for community building and creative collaboration. And I would argue that the amazing creations and popularity of TikTok is proof positive that killing that feature was a mistake on YouTube's part. And there are a lot of things that TikTok is doing that make it king over YouTube right now, if you want to argue they're competing in the same race, which is a whole other debate. But back to TikTok and the Surrealists. 
Watercutter points out that the comparison to the exquisite corpse is not exact. TikTokers know what they're responding to, and not every TikTok is a duet or response. But the same spirit is there. Spontaneous collaboration, pushing the envelope, having fun. Like the Surrealists, some might be very serious about having fun, but the spirit of it is fun nonetheless. And it's not just the Surrealists that some of TikTok's videos hearken to. Quoting Watercutter in Wired, The most bizarre collaborative TikToks, Laxton notes, echo other creative movements. In the 1950s, the American artist Alan Caprow brought together poetry, dance, theater, music, painting, and other disciplines into single performances he called happenings, which often encouraged audience participation. TikTok does the same, just digitally. Real-time, but not live performance. Public art, but on a platform. End quote. Daniel Mertzloft, who created the Grocery Store musical on TikTok, which ended up laying the foundation for the Ratatouille musical, says that TikTok has a lot of improv elements to it. He told Watercutter it's like Gen Z's Yes And. And for a generation that's coming of age in the middle of a pandemic, or as they might say, a panorama or a pan pizza, not to mention having grown up online already, creating a new digital type of improv makes perfect sense. Quoting again, My general take on TikTok and art, and social media and art in general, is that it really bears a lot of resemblance to street art and street performance, says An Xiaomina, author of Memes to Movements, How the World's Most Viral Media is Changing Social Protest and Power. Especially during the pandemic, social media is where we do public right now. There is, Mina notes, something guerrilla about what's being created on TikTok. It's often made on the fly and designed to be infinitely remixable. End quote. And Watercutter points to a number of examples from the second half of the 20th century of forms of creative expression that were rarely regarded as art at the time. And Watercutter points to a number of examples from the second half of the 20th century of forms of creative expression that were rarely regarded as art at the time, and sure, some still wouldn't call them that, but they were presented in galleries and they're studied in universities now, if that counts for anything like zines and other art sent through the mail, or video art, which got even wackier with the advent of consumer-grade camcorders. The art was shaped by the platforms available. Of course, one of the thorny exceptions here is that TikTok creations are exclusive to a particular branded platform. To go briefly back to my YouTube soapbox moment, a lot of media-type folks these days criticize YouTube for not having an easily accessible built-in video editor. It does have a built-in editor, but it's clunky and reminiscent of a full video editing suite. Nothing like the intuitive interface of TikTok or any Stories app, which just require a few taps and have plenty of effects and filters to make your video look slick in a way that would have required hours of work with a traditional camcorder and editing software. Critics say this barrier of entry will be YouTube's downfall, and they may be right from a certain user perspective, but videos uploaded on YouTube can be posted anywhere. Except for the occasional very niche use of their particular features, that video could live anywhere and have been made anywhere. Videos that could only have been made on TikTok using those duet or stitch features, sure, they can be uploaded elsewhere after the fact, but part of their production is dependent on proprietary technology. If we want to start talking about taking TikToks off of TikTok to be displayed in a gallery or something, we run into an issue that hasn't really been relevant before. The fact that there is such a creative movement and body of work blossoming on the app is awesome, but we can't forget that it is one single app owned by a corporation. 
That's one complication. Another is a question of authorship. While you can sometimes find your way back to the origin of a particular trend on TikTok, that original creator doesn't always get all the credit. And yeah, predictably, it's usually creators of color who miss out on the late-night talk show appearances and record deals. Scholars have written endlessly for a couple of decades now about how the web is a new era of remix culture, and TikTok has turned up the dial on that exponentially, building on the corpses of lessons learned in earlier Internet 2.0 days. Where will it go from here? How will this spirit live on and innovate on other platforms? And is it art? Mina, the meme author who compared social media to street art, says she hopes that curators and archivists are paying attention so this moment can be documented. The archiving of digital content is a whole other topic, but hopefully the ones who work on that are not overlooking this moment of innovation on TikTok because it's just a childish distraction. As Watercutter says, we live in an age where an NFT of a piece of art has value simply because it represents a creative work. A thing gains meaning and value once people are able to label it. By the time TikTok creators were done with Grocery Store New Musical, Mertzliff's original TikTok was almost unrecognizable underneath all the additions and modifications. Exquisite Corpse is a fitting description for the process, even if the tools and methods have changed since the 1920s. The collaboration and absurdity are the same. Besides, no new movement is considered art until someone gives it a moniker. Culturally, history has proven art is infinitely mutable, an exquisite body without a name. End quote. All right, that is quite enough from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.